continuing in our journey through the book of Nehemiah. Today we come to Nehemiah chapter 4. And I'm only going to spend time in half of that chapter today. I don't want to cram too much in. So I'm going to do the first half of Nehemiah chapter 4. And somehow, by what can only be deemed a miracle, I have found a way to weave themes of Independence Day into Nehemiah chapter 4. <laughs> I guess I had to because I realized, I think July 4th is probably my second favorite holiday after Easter. I love Easter. But um, I love the 4th and all that that means. And so at some point I'm going to be talking about that. But let's start with Nehemiah 4. Verse 1. Reading in the New King James Version, Nehemiah 4, verse 1. And I told you that these two guys would come back to haunt us at some point, and here they are again today Sam Ballot and Tobiah, the enemies of Nehemiah and his work. So let's read Nehemiah 4, 1. But it so happened when Sam Ballot heard that we were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and very indignant and mocked. The Jews. Remember, what we've said so far, by the way, is that we have likened this rebuilding of, the, of Jerusalem and its wall, particularly, we likened that to building up the church. And I showed you through scripture why I believe that is the parallel that God wants us to see through this study. Um, it says in uh, Ephesians, I'm just going to read there. I forgot my glasses again. Ephesians 2, verse uh, 19 says, You are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. When I read these verses today, I would like for you to do something that I would encourage you to do all the time. Read these words as if you've never heard them in your life and you don't know the first thing about Christianity. Act as though you are seeking for the truth. You don't know what Christianity means, and so I want you to pay close attention to this. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone, the foundation of this building called the church. He's the foundation. I was in a creation seminar once. It was excellent. Scientific evidence for the creation and the age of the earth. They had this big graphic up on the wall, and they had a building, and they had the foundation, and the foundation was labeled Younger Creationism. And I wanted to stand up and read this and say, I thought Jesus was the foundation. I thought Jesus was the cornerstone. I thought Jesus was the name by which we must be saved. So we can have truth, yes. Truth permeates God's universe, but Jesus is the truth with a capital T. He is the truth incarnate. He said, as we heard this morning, I am the truth. He is all of the truth. So there are things you can believe wholeheartedly and call them truth and not know God. 
So let's pay close attention to this word that perhaps we need to really start paying more attention to than ever. He's the chief cornerstone, Ephesians 2.21, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God and the Spirit. I'm going to read that again. In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God and the Spirit. So let's make sure we are interpreting this building in Nehemiah correctly. Does this verse I just read sound like we are the building? We are being built together? Yeah. And so we go back to Nehemiah. And as I said before... Satan, the enemy of our soul, will always be furious and indignant when he sees the church being built up and being built together, unified. We will always have a furious and indignant, indignant enemy. And it says, these guys mocked the Jews. In verse 2 it says, he spoke before his brethren in the army of Samaria. Now this is important, remember that. Sam Ballot was a Samarian. Who are the Samarians? Samaritans. He was from Samaria. He was a Samaritan. Who are the Samaritans? They were enemies of the Jews. Remember? Remember the Samaritan? So he's a Samaritan. And he speaks before his brethren in the army of Samaria. And he says, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish? Stones that are burned? Satan will always cause you to doubt your strength. And you know, ironically, how he does that? He gets you to try to trust in your own strength. He says, see, you're weak. You know what the best answer for that? If you want a really good comeback, if you really want to roast the devil, when he suggests that you're weak, say, yeah. And guess what? My strength is, my weakness is made perfect in his strength. You quote that to him and tell him your strength is not in yourself, it's in Jesus. That'll shut him up. So here's the enemy of the Jews trying to tell them they're too feeble, they're never going to be able to complete this work. Now Tobiah the Ammonites, the Ammonites also were enemies of God's people, the Jews. But Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, whatever they build, even if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Now I want to look at this prayer Nehemiah prays. Again, I want you to read this prayer with me as, you, as if you are a seeking, non-religious person trying to figure out what the Bible teaches. You don't know a thing about Christianity. How do we pray when we have an enemy coming against us. A real flesh and blood. Remember, these were flesh and blood enemies. Tobias and Sanballat. How are we to pray when people in the world mock us? When they're angry and indignant and furious? When they hate the church? And when they don't want to see the church succeed? Physical flesh and blood enemies. How are we to pray? Let's look at how Nehemiah prayed. Hear, O our God, Nehemiah 4, 4. For we are despised. Church, can you say amen to that? Amen. We are despised. 
turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you. For they have provoked you to anger before the builders. I mean, Nehemiah prayed it. We're studying Nehemiah because he's the man. He's the example. And look what he prayed against flesh and blood enemies of his people, God's people. That's how he prayed. So he built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Oh, wait a minute. I think it says the pastor had a mind to do all the work. Is that what it is? Oh. The, oh, my, my glasses aren't on. The people, the people had a mind to do the work of the ministry. The people build the church together. The people do the work. So it happened, verse 7, when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Hear what's going on here. We are despised and we are under attack. Can we relate? Church, we are despised and we are under attack. Oh, so relevant. Oh, so familiar. But what about that prayer, though? Don't blot out their sins? Don't cover their iniquities? Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to the land of captivity? What's going on here? I mean, what happened to love your enemies? <coughs> Words of Jesus. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And those who spitefully use you. Pray for those. Pray for those. Not against those. Pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. See, under the Old Covenant, God's people, the Jews, were a nation state. They were the people of Israel. They were confined to a geographical nation and an earthly government. And their enemies were flesh and blood. And so the, the answer is, when, when people challenge you and say, how come there's so much killing in the Old Testament? Why did God tell people to pray that way and fight them and fight against them and kill their enemies? Well, these, these were, as I've said many times before, these were terrorist nations. When they're harassing you and they're, or they're ravaging your, your land, you know, when they're, when they're stealing off your sons and daughters, and taking them as slaves back to their enemy land when they're ripping 
open your pregnant women and pulling out, ripping out their babies? Yes. You're going to kill them, according to the word of the Lord. Because God is raising up a people to know him and through which all the earth will be blessed. Not cursed, not harassed, not terrorized. So Nehemiah is praying here very appropriately as an old covenant follower of Yahweh, Jehovah God. He is praying properly against flesh and blood enemies who seek to destroy God's people. But who are God's people under the old covenant? What did I just read in, in Ephesians? In Ephesians, this would have been this would have been so so radically different and shocking for a Gentile to hear. A Gentile who's been shut out, never allowed to enter the congregation and the assembly of the righteous, of the Jews. Paul says in Ephesians 2:19, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He is speaking of a spiritual house. An eternal kingdom. He says in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen generation. Peter is writing this to converted Gentiles who have had to disperse because of persecution. And he says to them, you, you Gentiles, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, He's not speaking to, you know, Jewish-born citizens of the nation of Israel here. He's speaking to new believers. Uh, uncircumcised Philistines, as it were. You are a holy nation, God's own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. And those wonderful, powerful words from Revelation 5, 9. John the Beloved has a vision, and he sees Jesus, and he sees a gathering around the throne of heaven, and there's this song that goes out over and over for all of eternity, and the words to this song, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. God's people under the new covenant on this side of the cross are from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And so, under the new covenant, we come to understand what was behind the terrorism of the old covenant. We come to understand that as Jesus comes to the earth and he turns everything inside out and he reveals the hearts of humanity, 
He reveals the heart of the fallen, depraved humanity. We find out the spirit of Samballot and Tobias. And we find out that it's in every one of us, except for the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ and his blood shed on the cross. So that then we pray thusly, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, Ephesians 6, 12, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness <coughs> in the heavenly places. And then it changes our vision under the new covenant. It changes the way we see our enemies. It even redefines enemy. Because Jesus said, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. That's a reference to, you know, they would bring coals of fire to their neighbor if their neighbor ran out of hot coals to keep warm. They'd bring up some extra coals of fire. You see, I forget who my enemy is. I'm confessing to you this morning. This is a confession. I'm guilty of being stuck in the old covenant and acting and living like an old covenant Christian. I forget who the real enemy is. And I completely can so easily lose sight of what Jesus sees and wants me to see all the time, all the time, all the time. And as I said last week, it's people, 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 people. We are building people. People are God's priority. Relationships are God's priority. And I had a wake-up call, I guess in the past week it was, back since I was up here last. There's this individual that he's an acquaintance of Dave and mine. Met him years ago. And, you know, we've talked to him a little bit through the years, got to know him some. And I felt like the Lord has put him on my heart lately. Like nagging me, not letting up, like reach out to this person. This person's isolated, this person's lonely, this person has no friends, and this person needs. Jesus, this is a soul destined for an eternity without God. And this person just started, just was weighing on me like I couldn't get the face out of my mind. That's, it's called having a burden for souls. And so I started telling Dave this, I feel like we need to invite so-and-so over, you know, reach out to him. Be a friend. Just be Jesus. And then I made the mistake of stalking him on Facebook. <laughs> I thought I'd better check out and see his timeline, see what he's been posting. Now, I gotta pause. I gotta tell you, because this will help you understand what, what, what happened. I love this country. I, you might not know this about me, 
And if you haven't learned this about me, here, good. I'm preaching the gospel. It means I'm preaching the gospel. But if you talk to me outside of here and you get to know me, I'm one of the sappiest patriotic sacks you've ever seen. I was trying to pick out a patriotic lyrics to a patriotic hymn to post on our church page yesterday. I was bawling. I, I love this country. Can you put that photo up there? Can we make it the right way? If not, you'll have to cock your heads. At least you'll look like you're keenly interested in what I'm saying. I don't know who that is. Maybe I think we've got maybe Betsy Ross, Pocahontas Bogdan, and Annie Oakley or something. I loved having the privilege of being the one to instruct my children, my homeschooling children, in American history. I got to teach them what the idea of America means. I love that. So that when that one in the middle grew up and told me she wanted to be a Marine, yes, it was hard, and yes, I cried, because my baby, my baby, what's she doing to me? But I couldn't deny, I helped instill this love of country in her heart. I have a passion regarding the idea behind what America means. I love freedom. I love justice. I love the idea of justice and liberty being for all. For all. Not some. For all. That's America. I love this country. I love it. And so when I went to my friend's timeline just to see, you know, oh, What's he been up to? What's he been saying? I started reading all these posts representing ideologies that were so foreign to what I believe America means. And after just a few minutes, I literally heard myself say to my husband, I don't really feel like inviting this person over anymore. I know you would never feel that way. I know that. It's a confession. Tell on myself. I know you would never allow your passions for this temporal homeland to hinder a relationship. Especially one for whom Christ died and who does not yet know that truth. And so I walked away, and, you know, usually when the Holy Spirit <coughs> speaks to you, and when it's conviction, it's not usually a loud voice. It's a still, small voice, and that's why we often can't hear it, because we've got so much other noise coming at us. We just drowned out the voice of the Holy Spirit. But I felt the Holy Spirit tap on my shoulder say, what are you doing? Well, I, you know, I really don't feel like having that guy over. 
think the way I do. Doesn't love my country. Doesn't stand for the truth. And I saw myself on Judgment Day. And I saw... I saw Jesus saying, worthy faith. Well, you know, I... You didn't want to listen to what I had to say. Well, what'd you have to say? What'd you have to say, Faith? What gospel were you preaching? I sent him to you so you could share the cross of Calvary with him and the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. And you were so in love and enamored with a passing kingdom that you could not take to heaven with you. You were willing to let a soul be lost forever. You'd sooner want him to vote the way you did and go to hell. In Colossians 3... Set your affections, I think it's Colossians 3, 2. Set your affections on things above and not on things on the earth. Let's look at that. Is it set your mind on things above. I, I like the can't be, Old King James says, set your affections on things above and not on things on the earth. Go to the next verse. For you died, I think the next verse it says, you die, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then you also will appear with him in glory. God is dealing with me concerning my affections. My passions. <coughs> There's a frightening verse, I don't remember where it is exactly, but uh, Paul says it, um, maybe in Timothy, I'm not sure, but he speaks of Demas, this man who had once been with Paul in ministry, ministering the gospel, and Paul says, Demas has forsaken me, why? Having loved this present world. Having loved this present world. And I just wonder... I just wonder if I love this present world too much. <coughs> There's a um There's a verse in Revelation 2. I think this is the third time I have read this passage. I started out in Nehemiah 1, our first Sunday in Nehemiah. With this, I closed with this passage, and I'm going to read it again. And I'm okay reading it again for the third time, because Paul said, I believe in Philippians 3, he said, it's necessary that I repeat the same things to you over and over. For you they are not tedious, but they are safe, because there are those who are going to come in 
and preach, so they're going to bring something into the church which is going to sound like truth to you. And it actually is going to be truth. Truths. They're going to sound very, very good. They're going to sound like things you've believed and held on to and, and cherished, closely held, cherished truths that you've loved all your life, and they're going to creep into the church and replace the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul said, the cross is a stumbling block. That is, it is an offense to Jews, to religious people, to the religious. You know why the cross is such an offense to religious people? Because it centers on the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is so often so often we want to preach everything but the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ to the point that I can actually, yes, offend people because I stick with a cross. And Jesus is my message and will always be unapologetically my message. Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. And so when we invite that man over for dinner, that will be by God's grace when the Holy Spirit opens the door and not a minute before, that will be our message. Guess what? Yes, this place is a mess. Yes, this country is in trouble. Yes, I know, I hear you. Yes, yes, you want justice, I want freedom. Guess what? I want justice too. You want freedom too? Yes, 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 but guess what? This kingdom is temporal. It's passing. Do we not stand and sing, kings and kingdoms shall all pass away? Let me give you, sir, a message of hope. There's an eternal, lasting kingdom, and you can enter into it today. But you've got to be born again. When Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Church, can we see the kingdom of heaven? I mean, sometimes I wonder, what do we see? Where is our focus? I get off focus sometimes. I let my affections be on other than Jesus Christ. His death and his resurrection and his kingdom that will soon be fully revealed, revealed and established as a new heavens and a new earth. So Revelation 2, this passage keeps coming back to me. I feel like, I feel like, I feel so heavily. I feel like, I feel like God is saying, this is a word for the church. This is a word for us, and we better pay attention. It's a warning in red from the resurrected Lord. And this time, he's blazing white, and he's got a sword in his mouth, and his feet are like brass. And you cannot look upon him, the Jesus that is speaking these words. So let's play close, pay cl close attention. 
Revelation 2, Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, he commends them in verse 2, I know your works, your labor, all you labor for, your constant labor to preach the truth. I've been so told so many times to preach the truth. I'm telling you what, I'm going to preach the truth with a capital T. His name is Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected. And woe is me if I do not preach that truth. So Jesus commends them. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and here's the kicker. You cannot bear those who are evil. If that doesn't sound like the church, and look. I'm talking to people on both sides of the political aisle. There are Christians on the far left and Christians on the far right who cannot bear those they deem evil. There are Christians and people on both sides of the political aisle pointing across the way and saying, you're evil. How can you support that evil thing? This is a message to all of us. You cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who, are, who say they are apostles and are not, and you've found them liars. You've persevered and have patience, and you have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. And then those sobering words, nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love what would people say is your first love if all they had was just watching your life from a distance? Everything you put out there, who would they say is your first love? See, we never, nobody knows their idols. Nobody can, we cannot usually recognize our own idols. If you want to know what someone's idol is, don't ask that person. They don't know. Ask the people watching them. Who would people say is your first love? I want Jesus to be my first love. I want Jesus to be our first love in such a way that people will know it. Watching every aspect of our lives everything that comes forth that issues out of us. Jesus is clearly their first love. They are clearly serving an eternal kingdom. They are so evidently not tied to this earth. There are, their affections are certainly in heaven above. Jesus says in verse 5, Revelation 2, repent, repent. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen and repent. This is Jesus telling the church to repent. The church who has labored and who has fought so, village, so valiantly against those who are evil. And Jesus is telling them to repent and do the first work. 
or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. When Jesus was standing before Pilate in John 18, verse 35, he's standing on trial before Pilate, and Pilate says to Jesus, your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? What do you have to say for yourself, Jesus? Notice Pilate says to him, your own nation. He's pointing out that Jesus' nation is Israel. You know why the Pharisees were so angry at Jesus? He hadn't even died and resurrected yet. They were angry because he was not interested in restoring their nation. He said, he's, he's taking away our king and our nation. That was the judgment against him. So Pilate says, your nation. How does Jesus answer that? My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. Did you hear that? I want to read that again. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants, the Christians, would be fighting with each other like they will be in 2020. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Hebrews 11.13 says, it speaks of those who kept their eyes on God to the bitter end. They were persecuted to the death for their love for God. It speaks of them in Hebrews 11, verse 13. And I wonder, church, would these words be written of us someday? When things get so bad on the earth, and the church is persecuted, even martyred, because of our love for the Lamb of God? Would these words be written about us if that were to happen? These all, these Christians from Wellsburg Community Church, they all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, they were assured of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Yes, on American soil. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Do you hear that? They seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which, from which they had come out, they would have had an opportunity to return. God will give you always an opportunity to return to your affections that you hold most dearly. There will always be an opportunity to worship your stewardship as an idol. I've said this many times, American citizenship is a stewardship, and we are to steward it well. But just like money, we know we, should, we never worship money. We can't worship our stewardships. There's only one 
and one alone who is worthy of our worship. Truly faith. And, and I knew that's why God, see, I knew that's where I was headed when I had lost interest in a soul at the expense of my preferences concerning my country and my values. Therefore, it says, now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I'm going to close with communion. With a call to examine our affections. There is a song that was popular when I was young. Er. And it went like this. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. With all my strength, with all I am, I will seek to honor his command. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. Now the years have come and the years have gone, but the cause of Jesus still goes on. Now our time has come to count the cost. To reject this world, to embrace the cross. And one by one, let us live our lives for the one who died to give us his life. Till the trumpet sounds on the final day, let us proudly stand and boldly say, I pledge allegiance to the Lamb with all my strength, with all I am. I will seek to honor his commands. I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. Josiah and Levi, you guys come. Dave, if you want to dim the lights a little bit, I'm going to come to the Lord's table this morning. I would invite you to examine yourselves, your heart, your affections, your longings, your passions. Who is your first love? Thank you. That would be reflected in how you spend your time. What you read, what you listen to, what you say, what you speak, what you write, what you think, what you dwell on. man came to Jesus. A man came to Jesus. Um, I, I'm not sure. Let's see where, where is that. I think in John chapter 10, you could, I'm not sure. You can look it up, but a man came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He's a good God-fearing Jew. Lots of commandments. Lots of commandments. Jesus, which one should I preach on the most? What's the most important commandment to you, Jesus? What's the thing I really need to make sure I say the most? 
Jesus, what's the priority? Which is the greatest commandment? You know what Jesus said. He said, Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then he said this. He said, the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, who's your neighbor? It's the Samaritan, the enemy. Yes, that enemy. Love him the way you love yourself. That's the second greatest commandment, and it's like the first one because you will know a person's love for God by the way they love other people, especially, especially their enemies. Who is your first love? Who's your first love? See, I want to get to know Jesus in such a way that I'll love like he does. That I won't shrink back or be offended by the ways that my enemies think. That it won't, it won't, it won't affect me because this isn't my homeland. This is passing. This is passing. I'm just traveling through. My affections, I want them above. I want Jesus to be my first love. Remember when you open these, just peel off the clear cellophane layer first, or you'll be in trouble. You're going to peel off the, the clear one first. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, 1 Corinthians 11, 23. That the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed by his enemy, wow, on that same night, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the Lord's body together. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying... This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Let's drink together, shall we? walk out of 
place and continue living for an earthly kingdom. Setting our affections on things that are passing. On a gospel that we could preach without ever naming the name of Jesus. Though it may be truth. Jesus, forgive us. Forgive me. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected and coming again. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your presence. Lord, I may not have said it right, but by your grace, Holy Spirit, let it be heard right. Lord, let your word, let your word fall on tender soil, on fallow ground, on, on uh, tender soil and, and, and earth that is broken up and ready to receive your word. Water it. Continue to grow us so that we will have a strong affection for you, Jesus. Be our first love. Be our first love. Amen. We're going to stand and close with a song. You are. <coughs> Let's make this our ending prayer together today. And then we will be dismissed. Given me more than I 
ever have wanted and I want to give you my heart and my soul you alone are father and you alone are good Savior and you alone are Given me more 
than I could ever have wanted and I want to give you my heart and my soul and you Father and you alone are good and you alone are Savior and you alone are God you are the only one I need Bow all of me at your feet, I worship you Just want to speak your name. 